welcome to 5% Radio, where it's all about learning like no one else today so you can live like no one else tomorrow. Please be sure to share and subscribe. What is up and welcome back to another episode of 5% Radio. In today's episode, episode number 29, I want to talk to you about the cost of quitting, restarting, and or starting over, really, however you want to look at it. And uh, this is something that actually is is discussed in several books that I've read, and I've heard a lot of very successful people talk about this, but there's something known as the 10,000-hour rule. The 10,000-hour rule was, uh, you know, it, it's been around for a while. It's been talked about by a lot of different people, a lot of books, a lot of speakers, but I believe it was actually popularized by a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers, and he talks about basically the people who are above average, the people who are truly excellent, that really excel, that are in the top, you know, maybe 5%, 3%, 1% of any given sport, any given activity, whether it's a musical instrument, spelling bee, basketball, sales, you name it, those people Without exception, every single one of them got there, regardless of their level of talent, regardless of what they were naturally, you know, innately born with, gifted with, regardless of of what they maybe did or did not have at birth. All of those people had one thing in common, and that was that they had roughly 10,000 hours of practice in, a.k.a. repetition is the mother of all skill. And he basically came to the conclusion that there was no one who had gone to the upper echelon, the highest level in any given area, any sports arena, any activity, any career, anything in the world who had not put in basically 10,000 hours of practice. And there were many, many different illustrations that he went through in that book. If you'd like to read the book, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, it is a phenomenal read. A little bit dry in some parts, but overall it's a great book and it really gives you kind of a solid foundation of, okay, if I want to be great, I've got to truly commit to something and give it my all and really take time to develop what he called mastery, to spend 10,000 hours and develop mastery. And when I talk about the cost of restarting or starting over, quitting and hopping from one thing to the next, you really, the issue with that is you never develop mastery. You go from, I am fully engulfed in, I'm immersed in, I'm all about this thing, and then I'm going to just, you know, happy hop, I'm going to go to the next thing, and oh, I'm all about this, and I'm gung-ho, and, and the 95% do this all the time. They jump from hobby to hobby to hobby. They jump from career to career to career. And I can speak personally to this based on my experience because I've had 25 different occupations. I've had 25 different occupations. I've done personal training. I've I've sold knives. I've worked in factories. I've worked in warehouses. I've waited tables. I've done management in nursing homes. I've done all kinds of different things. I've ran a marketing agency. I've done construction. I've done indoor and outdoor construction. I've sold construction. I've I mean, you name it, I have done it. I've done things in direct sales. I've done uh, CrossFit coaching. I've worked at a tree service. I worked at a grocery store. I've done all these different just random, I've got all these different random jobs popping in my head now that I've done. I've done all kinds of different things and it cost me a lot of time. I did the same thing with my hobby. See, I, when I was growing up, I started piano at eight years old and then I started guitar at 12 and I started martial arts even before that when I was five. And then I got into BMX really heavily around 12 years old, but I also got into tumbling and I also got into parkour. And then I also got into all this different stuff with, man, I want to learn all these different weapons arts and martial arts. And then I got super into you know, you name it. I got super into the next thing, super into the next thing. Then I got into motocross and then I, and I had all these different things that I'm like, man, these are all great things. I love doing them. They're so much fun. I didn't have time to get really, 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 really good at one thing. And we've all heard the term 
jack of all trades, master of none. That's there, There's no truer statement when a person hops from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And it's very damaging to your success. And here's why. If I spend a thousand hours on thing one, and then I hop to thing number two, and I spend maybe 500 hours on that, and then I, I hop to thing three, and I spend 3,000 hours on that, I go really far, and I get better than most people I know, and then I quit. So now we're 4,500 hours in, in three different things. And then I hop to the next thing, I spend 2,000 hours there, then I get bored, and the allure, the attraction of a new thing, the dopamine hit that I get from the novelty of, oh, this thing is new, I don't know about this, and I go into what's called the immersion state. So now I'm 6,500 hours in, 6,500 hours of practice into all these different things. And I'm in the immersion state yet again, meaning I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm hanging out with people that do that. I'm talking to people that do that. I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm doing everything. If you watch little kids every single day, they are in the immersion state of learning. Everything they do is learning something new. Everything they discover is like, oh my gosh, this is the most exciting thing ever. This is so amazing. And they're so excited about it. And then what do they do? They drop that and they go to the next thing and they pick it up and they're like, wow, look at this, man. This is the most amazing toy ever. And my son right now, my son, Elijah, I'm I'm recording this. It's middle of July, 2023. He's obsessed with balloons. He, He just loves balloons and it's the cutest thing ever. And that's the one thing that stayed constant. He loves balloons. Anytime we're in a store, anytime we're at home, anytime we're reading a book to him, anytime we go to a party, anytime we go to a a baby shower, anything you name it, a wedding, if there's balloons there, he's like, I got to go touch the balloons. Hot air balloons. He's like, ah, balloons. Like just, he is totally obsessed with balloons. But there have been many, many, many things that he's been temporarily obsessed with. Couple minutes goes by, and then he's like, eh. And then he never really gives that toy much attention again. Or he has a couple day span, just like people, they're gonna, I'm all gung ho. This is what I'm about. This is the new thing. This is the, this is my ticket out, blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna get rich. I'm gonna, you name it. You've heard it. You've seen it. And then a few minutes later, a few days later, a few hours later, a few months later, they're telling you all about, ah, no, that, that didn't work out. And here's why. And I thought it was this, but, Actually, it turned out to be that, and I found out so-and-so, and I read this article online, and and I you know, I thought so-and-so, but then I met someone that had tried it, and they go from full immersion, I'm obsessed with this thing, I'm learning everything I can about it, I'm infatuated, it is my positive, magnificent obsession. I cannot wait to get better at this, man, the end result's going to be so great. Can you imagine, man, when we get to, and then they move on to the next thing. So the cost of starting over is that now going back to my analogy, now I'm 6,500 hours in. I'm, I'm 3,500 hours shy of what it would take to master one thing. And now I've dabbled in four different things. See, because when something is no longer interesting, I'm reading a book right now by uh, Rick Patino. It's called Success is a Choice. And uh, my, my mentor told me I need to shift gears and I need to start actually reading coaching books. He said, you, you can perform well in what you do. You understand the basics. You can do better than most people can do in what you're currently doing, but you need to learn the skill set of coaching an individual based on their individual strengths, weaknesses, needs in that moment, being able to read them as a person, start reading coaching books. So I've, I've switched gears. I have, now I love novelty just as much as anyone else. The dopamine hit of getting a new book or learning a new topic or any of that kind of stuff. I love that. That's why I have a, a, a an entire bookshelf in our house that's dedicated to books to be read. And I constantly keep buying new books because I'm like, man, I can't wait to read the next one. Can't wait to read the next one. Can't reach in the day, read the next one. So even within your area of mastery, which mine is 
working with people in a variety of different fields, but mine is working with people. That's what I'm looking to develop mastery in because you're always going to be with people. You're always going to need to either help them or need help from them, and you're always going to have to deal with them in a positive or negative sense. However you want to look at it, it's been said that people are the best part of life. It's also been said that people are the worst part of life. I love working with people. I love working through their issues. I love helping them with things. I love seeing that light bulb moment when someone finally understands, oh man, I get it. And I've spent a lot of hours in teaching and coaching and instructing. And I love that area. I love that field of study. So whatever I can do to become a better communicator, whatever I can do to become more persuasive, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that, man, if I can help them understand that, man, if you do this, it's the best thing for you. Whatever I can do to get better with people in any given area, whether it's counseling, psychology, sales, marketing, anything I can do to understand them better and help them understand things that are important in their lives better, I am highly, highly, highly interested in those areas. So I read in leadership, I read in sales, I read in psychology, I read in counseling books, I read in all of these different areas, I read in people skills books, I read in books about how to start conversations, I read in books about small talk, I've read entire books on how to ask questions, I've read entire books on the sales process on the consultative sales process. I've read entire books on coaching. I've, I've read books on speaking. I just, I want to get better with people. And so for me, the novelty of, man, I, I have a new book that I want to read, but at this point, if my mentor told me you need to work on these things, if I am putting time into another area that is diverting my attention, I'm essentially, I'm, I'm taking deposits out of what I could be putting towards my 10,000 hours. I'm taking those deposits out and putting them somewhere else. So back to the analogy, we're 6,500 hours in, I've got 3,500 hours left, and I have developed mastery in an area. And this is one of the things that he talks about in the book Outliers, Malcolm Gladwell being he, the author. This is one of the things that he discusses. It's not just me going through the motions. See, there's actually another book that my wife and I both recently went through, and it's uh, Talent is Overrated by um, Jeff or Geoff Colvin, I believe is the name. It's like G-E-O. FF and then C-O-L-V-I-N is, is the author's first and last name. But anyway, one of the things that that author talks about in the book is that essentially that there's a difference between practice and deliberate practice, meaning there's a difference between going through the motions and actually working on getting better. See, deliberate practice and the cost of starting over comes at a point when things get difficult. When I reach the end of my current skill set, my current ability to perform a task, my current ability the threshold of, man, I'm about to fail. So like, for example, if I was an ice skater and, and I'm not an ice skater, I'm a terrible ice skater. And every single time I go ice skating, which is about, oh, about once every decade, my ankles hurt terribly when I'm done. Just every, every single time. Like if they made an ice skate with two skates on each foot, so you could kind of be like balanced out, that'd be great. So anyway, every single time I go, my ankles hurt. It's not, it's not a pleasant activity for me. I'm sure I'll be going in the next five years or so to take some of our kids because I'm sure they'll want to go. Novelty. They want a new experience. I'm all about it. I'll take them. So every single time I go, my ankles hurt. Now, if I was trying to skate backwards, I would be able to do it a little bit. Like if I pushed off the wall and learned how to, you know, they kind of cut their feet back and forth to gain momentum. And I, I learned how to look back. I could learn how to do that, but it would be like right at the edge of my ability to learn how to do that. Same thing with like um, trying to do like the breaststroke in a pool. If I was trying to learn the breaststroke in a pool, I can like just barely do it, but I'm also like halfway drowning while I'm doing it because like I'm not good at it at all, but I can do it. But that's deliberate practice. That's me working right at the edge, not of my potential, but right at the edge of my current ability. We're never going to reach our full potential ever. 
ever, ever, ever. You can try as hard as you want to. That is the goal is to fulfill and get all of the potential that is within you out because God created you for a purpose. He gave you certain gifts for a reason. If you're not going to use them, then as the Bible talked about in the parable of the talents, really he should have given them to someone else and you should have used what you had because if you didn't, really he should have taken that and given it to someone else. So if you have a gift, please, please, please develop that. Please don't waste what he gave you. But if I'm practicing in the pool, and I'm almost drowning, and I'm working right at the edge of my ability, that is deliberate practice. Deliberate practice is not doing something that I can already do. It's not doing something over and over and over again that bores me to tears. And when most people get to the point of deliberate practice, they realize, man, this sucks. This is getting difficult. This is actually pushing me. I'm going through mental pain trying to get myself to do this. This is not fun. The novelty was fun. The The immersion stage when I got fully into it, when I was learning every day and when it was new and exciting and when there was dopamine because I was, oh, this is new and that's new. Man, this feels good. When that wears off, then you get to choose if you're going to take a withdrawal and you're going to switch gears, start over, quit this current thing, start the next thing and all oh, the next thing. Guess what? You're right back in the immersion stage. It feels fun. There's novelty. My brain feels better. I'm not pushing myself. I'm not in mental pain. Oh, this is so wonderful. I miss this feeling. I I haven't had this feeling in so long. This must be it. Guys, this is exactly what happens with your friend that keeps dating or keeps marrying new people. This is exactly what happens with the person that keeps switching jobs. They're looking for the right thing. This is exactly what happens with the person that keeps switching majors. And there's there's two different schools of thought on this. Well, you got to find what you like, and that is true. Now, if you're married, that's not time to find what you like. You have made vows. Commit to those vows. Stick it out. Make it work. Find the information that you need to make that work. There are a gazillion marriage books to read. I would highly recommend reading marriage books that are not written by people that have been divorced ever. Read books by people that have had a healthy marriage, that went through a struggle, that made it work. So it's not the time to Ah, uh, you know what? I'll I'll find I'll, I got to go find what I like. Let me get divorced. That's that's not what I'm saying. But there's two schools of thought. Well, yes, you should find what you like. Absolutely. That's why I had so many different jobs. It took me that many jobs to realize, you know what? I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur. No one ever told me that. That wasn't something I grew up with. It was not in our educational system. Hey, let's go to the job fair. Let's go to the job wheel. Let's let's see let's see what you would test into. What are your unique abilities that could be used for someone else to have you work for them so they can make profit margin on you and charge $80 an hour for your time and only pay you $19 an hour? That's called margin, folks. That's that that's called leverage for the employer and the business owner and that's called you doing a job, not making very much money and trading the most valuable thing you have in your life, time for money. They don't make more time. They print billions of dollars every day. They do not print more seconds. Please be careful with how you spend your time and what you choose to do for a living. And remember, like I talked about in episodes four and five, it's less important how much you make and more important how you make your money. But as I go from thing to thing to thing, the two different schools of thought that there are is find what you like. And the other thought is, Stop hopping around. Just be committed to something and make it work. I cannot tell you how many people I've met that are highly, highly, highly successful in an area, and they talk about how they don't really necessarily love every single part of what they do. For example, I was uh, listening to a guy give a talk, makes about $300,000 a month. I know for some of you that might be like, how in the world? He must be dishonest. He must be selling drugs, doing something wrong. No, he's just very successful at what he does, and he's put in tens of thousands of hours in what he does. He's extremely good at what he does. And 
So he was giving a talk and he's like, I hate suits. I hate flying around. I hate getting dressed up. I hate all of this staying in the hotels. I hate everything about all of that, but I love the result that I get out of what I do. Basically what he's saying is I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to sacrifice to do something I don't want to do to get a result that I want. Well, you should be happy. You should love what you do. Really? How many people do you know that work a job that pays the bills that they do not love what they do? How many people do you know that own a business that they don't absolutely love, adore, and cherish every single moment on their job? They, they don't love what they do. They love parts of what they do, but they don't love 110% of what they do. Guess what? As a married person, you're not going to love every single thing that comes with being married. But man, the fruit of a good marriage is awesome. My wife and I, I'd say we enjoy probably 90% of our marriage. There's 10% of things in our marriage that we're like, you know what? I'll do this because I love my spouse, but she doesn't wake up every day and I don't wake up every day like, oh, I can't wait to do this thing. Like it is an act of service at some points. There are things that you'll do in your marriage because this would make my spouse happy. This is best for my family. This is best for my husband. This is best for my wife. I will do something I don't necessarily want to do for the end result. But if I'm constantly caught up on the idea of novelty, then I become this person that hops from this thing to that thing to the next thing to the next thing, all the while getting applauded by people that I know because they're like, oh, you weren't happy. You seem, you seem like yourself now. You're so much happier. And there's a cost to starting over. Now I'm 7,000 hours in, 8,000 hours. I have spent almost enough time to master one thing, to truly be world class, to master something. I've spent all that time because you're going to spend time on things anyway. You might as well spend time. You you cannot be good at everything. I believe that anyone can be world-class at almost anything. If it's not talent-dependent, if it is just a skill, you could be world-class at it. And there's a great example of this. So there was a gentleman who was a world chess champion, and everyone was just touting him as like, oh, he's a savant, he's a genius, and it's his IQ, and it's this and that. He was just born, and he's like, no, guys, like, I put a lot of stinking practice. Like, I, I put so much time into this thing. It's not that I'm a savant. It's not that I'm naturally gifted. It's not that I just, oh, it just came to him. Must be easy. Must be nice, you know? Like, he's like, no, I, I put in the work. So just to prove it, he started a brand new discipline that he had no experience in. He started jujitsu, and guess what? Three years later, he was the world champion in a jujitsu tournament. I don't know. I think it was Worlds, but he was he was like a world champion at one of the biggest stages, per se, in this sport of jujitsu or Brazilian jujitsu, one of the two. Uh, it's a style that I actually uh, will be getting back into. I took it for about nine months. It was my second martial arts style that I pursued. Love it to death. Watch videos of it all the time. Uh, teaching it to some people, about to start taking lessons again myself, classes, whatever you want to call it. Uh, very, very, very fun sport. But it was something that I already had a background in. I already had a background in ground fighting and grappling and wrestling. This guy had no background in it whatsoever. Get started, three years later, is a world champion. Because he wanted to show people that it wasn't about his natural gifting, it wasn't about his talent, it wasn't about his natural ability or his his athleticism. It wasn't about any of that. It wasn't about his mental agility. That The reason that he was so good at chess was he just had this, this mind that he was blessed with that no one else had. No, no, no. He put in the practice. And to show that, he left that field, went into another one, did full immersion, put in his time, and became a world champion. There was another family. There was a man, and he was absolutely obsessed with basically um, 
with teaching and coaching children with basically finding out what is their potential and, and how much is nature versus nurture. Like him, him and his wife were really, really, really both into psychology and they basically got married on like a contractual agreements, not like the wording I want to use, even though that's like what, you know, a marriage certificate is, but a marriage license, but basically they got married on the premise of like, I really want to find out how much of the outcome of someone's life is nature versus nurture. In other words, nature, what they were born with, what is innately there, nurture the environment that they're raised in, which one's really more powerful, which one's really more important, which one ultimately determines what happens with this human being. Is it their environment or is it what they were born with? So they got married. They were both fascinated with psychology and they were absolutely obsessed with and not legitimately obsessed with like this was his life, but he basically artificially became obsessed with chess. And he either had, it was either two or three daughters. I believe it was three daughters. And he had these three daughters, could have been four. It's been a little bit since I read this, this section of this book. Um, but he talked about in the book and his daughters were interviewed, everything they read Everything they did for hobbies, everything they did for practice, every second that was not spent in school, all of their playtime, everything was chess. Everything was chess. All of their time. I'm talking hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a day. And remember, 365 days a year, if I spend roughly three hours per day in an area, it's about a thousand hours, 10 years in, I am getting close to or over 10,000 hours of mastery. So, he spent more than that with his girls. I'm talking more than four hours a day, just a ridiculous amount. And by the time they were pretty young ages, like world record setting ages, like no one had ever done this before, let alone a little gal, they were breaking matches. They were beating grandmasters. They were breaking and setting all kinds of different records. And the younger daughters, like, so if he had three kids, the oldest one would set a record, the, the middle one would break it, and the youngest one would go on. And these kids were like, oh, they're they're so amazing. They must be this. They must be that. And they're like every, they were interviewed and they were asked about this. And they're like everything we did in our house. Like it didn't, it didn't feel like deliberate practice to us. It didn't feel like it was difficult. It was just our way of life. And the dad understood if I can immerse these kids in chess and nothing but chess, you may disagree. You may agree with this. Oh, that's great that he did that. What a wonderful experiment. Or he robbed those kids of their childhood. That is neither here nor there. But what he did choose to do is he proved a point. If someone was completely obsessed with and they were fully immersed in an environment where they learned about nothing, did nothing, and thought about nothing but this one thing, day in and day out, 24-7, 365, that was their lifestyle, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get great at that. So let me ask you this, and I'm going to bring this home. What has your cost of starting over been? How many things have you started and quit? And when are you going to make a habit of going from starting over, starting over, starting over, quitting. When are you going to make a habit of quitting, quitting instead of starting something new? Let me say that again. When are you going to make a habit of quitting, quitting? In other words, when are you going to stop quitting things? Quit quitting. It sounds a little odd, but when am I going to say enough's enough? I'm going to find something. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to put in the immersion. I'm going to put in the time. I'm going to put in the deliberate practice, the the right at the edge of my ability where I would be, if I'm swimming, I would be drowning. If I'm ice skating, I would be just pushing myself just to that limit. I can barely do this. It's so frustrating. It's mentally taxing. It's emotionally just, it's terrible. Like this is so 
difficult. I can remember when I got done, when I was practicing certain piano pieces growing up, I would get done practicing only a half an hour session. And like my brain would literally hurt. Like it would be tired, like mentally tired. Physically, I'm not tired. I'm sitting at a piano. I I might be sweating a little bit because I'm playing advanced pieces and I'm moving a lot and I'm using almost all the keys on the piano. I'm moving a lot, playing fast, but my brain would be so taxed that I would practice a half an hour and I would need to go just like veg. And then I would come back and practice another half hour because I wanted to develop mastery in that area. My first dream as a kid was to be a concert pianist. That was my very first ever dream that I had was I want to be a concert pianist. And I would practice and practice and practice and practice. And my brain would be exhausted and I would be playing right at the edge of my ability and it would be extremely frustrating. But I didn't choose to quit. I continued on with piano for over a decade before I ended up, you know, getting into working full time and I just got busy and I didn't have a piano in my house and, um, you know, moving into different seasons, things just got busy, but I still play. But when I was in that season of, of deliberate hard practice on a regular basis, it was exhausting. It wasn't fun. It wasn't like, oh, this is, this is great. I knew another kid that practiced violin like four to six hours a day and he was absolutely incredible, but no one's going to look at that and say, that looks fun. Six hours a day. That looks awesome. Yeah. No, hanging out with your friends, skipping dates on the weekends, waking up, basically putting in almost a work day, just practicing an instrument just to be great. So when are you going to quit quitting, decide to quit starting over, stick with something and put in the time of full immersion where that is all you do. It's all you think about. It's all you practice. I'm not saying you become obsessed with this and throw your life completely out of balance and you give up everything else that should be a priority in your life. I'm not saying that. But if you want, if you want 110% results, if you want to be in the upper echelon, if you want to be in the top five, three, or top 1% of people that earn income with, with, with what you do, that are skilled with what you do, if you want to be the best of the best, then you're going to have to practice like the best of the best do. You're going to have to stop quitting things and starting over, and you're going to have to go into full immersion. So decide, what is it that I need to quit doing right now? What is it that I need to stick with? How can I stop happy hopping going from this thing to that thing and that thing to this thing? How can I quit that and go into full immersion? Because there is a great cost to starting over. And if you're going to spend 10,000 hours during your lifetime getting good at multiple things, instead of being a jack of all trades, master of none, choose to put in 10,000 hours to the thing that you truly want to get good at. That will make the most impact. That will make the biggest difference. That will get you what you want out of life because you will become a master of what you put the time into and masters get paid.